0: How about now? There we go. Everyone has a story. We all have stories that we share with one another, with those who we love, our friends, our family, our loved ones. And these stories give our lives meaning and shape, they give us a point of view and a perspective. There is a story that my family has been telling for as long as I have been alive. I feel like I have heard it hundreds, if not thousands, of times at this point. And I have been here in just two days for two years, and there is a great likelihood that I have shared at least a portion of this story with you at some point, and possibly has even preached on it. I don't catalog all my sermons, so I'm not totally sure, but I'm pretty sure that I have mentioned this story to you before. My grandmother lived in South Carolina. And in her mid to late 20s, she found herself with eight children with a man who she was not married to. And at some point in this relationship, she found out that this man who she had been in a relationship also had another family across town that was about the same size. My grandmother was a devout person of faith, and she did not know what to do, and she sought God for an answer to rescue her from this situation. And surely she had made choices, but she had found herself in this difficult position, a position that she had not planned for, a position that she had not dreamed of, and yet this was the place that she was in. And one night while she was praying, she thought that she heard the voice of God telling her to do something, and so she did it. And in the middle of the night, she woke up her children and she gathered these eight children into their little car. I don't know how they all fit. And they put whatever possessions that they could fit into this car, and they drove from South Carolina to Florida in the middle of the night to begin a new life. The stories that came after that were stories of great difficulty, that they survived on banana sandwiches and spoonfuls of mustard, that they went to this new place with no place to live, No friends that were there, no community to support them, and yet somehow God provided and they survived. And as I heard this story as a young child, I never really questioned any of the details. I didn't really ask any questions. I just heard the overarching point that God loved people enough and cared for them enough and was intimately enough involved in their life that if they found themselves in a place of great difficulty a place where they had made mistakes, that God loved them enough to rescue them and to give them second chances. And the way that this story was told to me did not only apply to my family, but to all people. And so this story that my family told over and over again, I believe, gave me a generous view not only of God and God's love, but of all people, because we all make mistakes and find ourselves in difficult circumstances. Our stories matter. And the stories that we tell, both as individuals and communities, shape our lives together. The language that we use affects the way that we see our neighbors and affects the way that we see ourselves when we look into the mirror or when we imagine ourselves. Our stories matter. I'll just say that again. This morning in our Gospel passage, we find Jesus in the middle of His own story. He and His disciples are making a great journey to Jerusalem, and they are traveling from city to city, from town to town, and they are spreading the Gospel. And the town that they arrive at, at the start of this story, in the first portion of this story, is a town of Samaritans. And they come there and they preach the Gospel, And these Samaritans do not receive Jesus, they do not receive the disciples, and they do not receive the message that they have brought. And I kind of love the disciples' response, because they go, well, Jesus, (laughs) they didn't receive us or our message, should we call down fire from heaven and destroy them? Think about the stories that they must have been telling each other. Not only about themselves, not only about this Messiah that they were following, but also about God. That this would have been their first response to their message being rejected. Let us call down fire and destroy the people who disagree with us. I love that Jesus rebukes them, because this should not have been their response This was not the story that they should have been telling. This is not the kind of people that they were supposed to be in following Jesus. The second part of the story finds them traveling further, and Jesus has three encounters where people either tell Jesus that they want to follow him or Jesus calls them to follow him. And each time, Jesus' response is basically this is not going to be easy. In fact, the reason that we get the first part of the story is so that we know that every place that we go with the message of Jesus, no matter how well we talk about it, no matter how well-versed we are, no matter how loving we are, some people simply will not receive it at that time. And so those of us who follow Jesus are not guaranteed a path of easiness or certainty, but instead, much like the rest of life, we are promised difficulty and uncertainty. Interestingly enough, this story is also a great way to highlight that Jesus never once in any of his stories, in any of his commandments, in any of his teachings, never once asks us or commands us to worship him. And yet, so often in the church, the story that we tell ourselves is this is what we are called to do, to worship this Messiah. What's interesting is that worship is easy, but the command to follow is much more difficult. Because if all we are called to do is worship Jesus, then all we need to do is show up on Sunday or maybe every couple of Sundays or maybe just once or twice a year. We're going to sing a couple of songs and we're going to read through the liturgy We're going to recite the parts that we know by heart and we're going to pray together and then we can return back to our lives and there's nothing more really commanded of us or required of us. And yet the calling to follow Jesus is much more participatory. It demands our full attention. Not just when we are in this place and not just when we are gathered with this community, but it calls all of our attention all of the time to wonder and to ponder How Jesus would live in this moment. How Jesus would love this person in front of us. What decision Jesus would make if He found Himself in this particular position that we have found ourselves in. Much like the Episcopal wedding liturgy, where we do not say, I do, as a one-time choice, following calls us to say again and again, I will. Because it is a daily choice. A choice from moment to moment to follow and not allow Jesus to wander too far in front of us and to lose Him in the crowd. But what does it look like to follow Jesus? I have thought about that in the context of this community. I have read the history of this place and I have sat with many of you and you have shared your own stories of this place. And I can remember in the first few months that I was here, myself and Robert and Julie went and had tacos together and we talked about the history and the DNA of this place. And there was a term that they mentioned that was seared in my mind on that day, waves of inclusion. That reconciliation has been a place that has again and again welcomed people that other churches have failed to welcome or not welcomed well. People who have experienced divorce, people with special needs, gay and lesbian folk, the wider LGBTQ plus community. This is a church when other churches have said no, we have said yes, come and be with us. You, just like me, are a child of God. And my friends, this is the story that I wanted to share with you today. I wanted to talk to you about being a place whose deep DNA was a place of welcome and hospitality. And as I was finishing my notes for my sermon, I was driving from Duncan Park to the Denver airport. And I received the news of the 50-year precedent of Roe vs. Wade being overturned. It's been a hard couple of days I imagine it has been for you, too. And there are certain stories that we can now tell ourselves about what it means to be people who live in America. I have wondered since that conversation with Robert and Julie what the next wave of inclusion might be. And although I do not believe there is one singular answer, I believe that this is a time where we have to say yes over and over again to welcoming new groups of people, as they become apparent to us, what I do know is that if in the last 48 hours, your bodily autonomy or your access to safe and legal health care has been threatened or attacked or stripped away, what I want to tell you is that this is a place where you are welcome, where this community will not turn you away, and that I, as your pastor and your priest, will do more than offer thoughts and prayers But I will stand with you, I will grieve with you, and I will fight with you in any way that I can. I wish that I could offer more than that. But that is what I offer today. I do not know what our story looks like in the future. I imagine that there will be many hard battles. But what I do know is the prophetic task of the church has always been to tell a different story. That when the powers that be throughout history have offered us a story that is less than the kingdom of God, the church has been called again and again to the prophetic task not of predicting the future, but of telling a story of a better future, a story that is lived together and not apart a story that is forced on no one, a story where there is enough for everyone, a story that is about equity and justice and love. This is a day of celebration, because this community will continue to be a place that welcomes everyone. I hope that you will live this story with me, together, with all that are gathered here, no matter if you've been here for 50 years, or this is your first Sunday. Amen.